Welcome to the Nourished and Nurturing Podcast, for two holistic-minded moms with a passion for real food and raising healthy, empowered children. We want to provide a safe and educational, judgment-free zone for supporting women as they journey into motherhood and discover the mom they were meant to be. I'm Marissa of Confidently Balanced. I'm a former speech-language pathologist turned nutritional therapy practitioner and have a passion for all things health, wellness, and mindset. I'm also a mama to a little guy with a big personality. And I'm Michelle. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner student. I have a degree in Thai massage and a master's in business analytics. I'm a mama to a little one and have another one on the way. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical concern. Hi, everyone. I have another special guest today. I am talking to Eliza Parker. Eliza's work helping babies and parents sleep better revolves around her respect for babies and toddlers as whole people who enter the world aware, desiring to communicate and learn, and with the ability to process and self-heal within relationship. Her conscious baby practice employs unique approaches to non-cried-out sleep, healing birth trauma, and parental attachment to nonverbal cues and crying. As a certified aware parenting instructor, infant developmental movement educator, body-mind centering practitioner, and trained Feldenkrais practitioner, Eliza's life-changing perspectives and respectful solutions towards common parenting challenges transcend typical parenting advice. She's from North Carolina, lives in Austin, Texas, and works online with families all over the world. I am so excited to welcome you, Eliza. Hi. Thanks, Michelle. Hi. It's really great to talk to you. Yeah. We've worked together a couple times with my first, Connor, who's now two and a half. And uh, we worked together on his crawling at one point when he was about eight or nine months old. I think he was slow to pick up crawling. And that was really cool just going through the motor development piece of it. And then we've done some other work together, but now I'm back with a newborn and I'm, I'm really (laughs) excited to just get to hear from you about all the the babies in the sleep. (laughs) Yep. Babies in sleep. It's a big, it's a big topic. It's a big topic and everybody wants some secret, like, (laughs) how do I do it? And it's, yeah, it's, it's really a lot of, from my perspective, it's different for every baby, <laughs> but yeah, I find there's, there's some common links that from this perspective, from a, aware parenting that are true across the board. And then it's like, there's a base layer and then it's different can be, can be really different for different families. So <laughs> yeah. Well, do you want to talk about that base layer? Yeah. Okay. So this approach to sleep comes from aware parenting that's Aletha Salter woman and mama (laughs) Um, aware parenting itself is about it's a lot about underlying needs so looking for underlying needs behind any challenges whether it's sleep or behavior or whatever it is so um, and it applies to all ages. Aware parenting has something for all ages. Um, for babies, it's often around crying, understanding 
why babies cry beyond immediate needs, which we can talk about um, for toddlers, understanding tantrums and how to address those things respectfully. And then for older children, um, actually for any age, attachment play, and then for older children, discipline without punishments and rewards. So it's a very respectful, humane way to, to raise children. So that's, that's the overall picture where this is coming from. But yeah, in relation to sleep, kind of the main background information for parents, actually the very first number one thing is that you're not failing. <laughs> you're not failing if your baby is not sleeping well or crying. That's the very first thing. Okay, second <laughs> important first thing is that Babies innately know that in order to sleep, they need to relax. And in order to relax, they may need to let off some tensions. Um, and the difference between babies and us is that they will just cry often. So usually with sleep challenges, there's some crying associated. Um, we can talk more about that too. But for, for grownups, if... If you think about like, if you have something on your mind or you're having a challenging situation or a problem at work or something going on in your relationship, how does that affect you? Are you able to relax easily? Do you tend to hold your breath or hold, lift your shoulders or um, comfort eat various things? Or if you've ever lain awake, lied awake in the middle of the night thinking about something that's on your mind and can't get back to sleep. So same for your baby. Yeah. So can you just, can you talk about the crying aspect of it? Like what is crying in arms? Yeah. Yep. So, so I'll talk a lot about crying, but want to differentiate at first right now that it's really different from cry it out. So um, crying itself is not necessarily a bad thing. It's what we do around crying in response. Um, and there's research about cry it out versus crying in arms. Um, but so babies cry for as we look at it in aware parenting for two main overall reasons. One, everyone knows babies cry for basic needs, like they're hungry, they wanna be held, kind of those basic needs. Everyone knows that part. The second category is that babies cry to release stress and communicate. It's their way of, it's, their, it's a very healthy response. It's a very natural healing mechanism. It's a way that they get their stress out, let off steam, communicate with us about their experiences they've had. They need to process their experiences just like we do. And birth can be a big thing to process or something going on in their daily life, whatever it happens to be. Um, so crying, and we can talk about how this is related to sleep, but yeah, the, the piece about crying itself is really important to look for in relation to sleep. So sometimes parents will have like 
if a baby's having difficulty falling asleep and just not settling or parents feel they have to do something to get the baby to sleep. So sometimes it's obvious the baby will cry. Sometimes it's not as obvious. So you kind of have to look if, if you're doing something to get your baby to sleep that if you didn't do, what would happen? Often the answer is cry. In a different scenario, sometimes parents don't get crying before sleep, but the baby will wake up and cry in the middle of the night. Or another scenario is if you're not seeing any crying now to look back when sleep troubles started and see if, like, remember if, was there any crying associated there? Or for example, if, if there's a pacifier if they didn't have the pacifier, would they cry? And this is all beyond immediate needs. So after meeting needs. So I have a question around this. Like, how can you tell if the crying is because of a need or because of just wanting to stress relief, a release? And my question is kind of around breastfeeding and potentially, because I think back to my son and he had a tongue tie and we were breastfeeding and I don't think he was, he wasn't getting enough milk. And that wasn't something we knew at the time until he was losing weight. But uh, I know this gets into, you know, see a lactation consultant in that obviously too. But um, I guess I think there's a lot of women who worry about their child not getting enough to eat when they're breastfeeding. Yeah, taking care of breastfeeding is really, really important. Um, Crying in arms can be done from the beginning at any point, but you do wanna, especially at the beginning, make sure that feeding is going okay so that you can eliminate that worry and that stress. But yeah, the tongue tie, that's, that's a big thing sometimes, and it's it's really important to check that out if there might be a concern there. But as far as in general, how to tell the difference mm-hmm. if, if the need is to, if there's a basic need versus a, a, a need to release stress, it's a little different with different ages. So newborns, first month or two they're they are awake for shorter amounts of time so parents need to navigate the feeding and the hunger and the and sometimes it takes a while to feed and then there's a lot of sleeping so um i find it helps parents when the baby's younger first one two maybe three months if you're if you're if you feel certain that your baby has fed and has gotten it feeding and then or if you have a feeling like my baby's crying and I just don't know why I tried everything we tried feed we tried tried to feed we tried the, to change the diaper I'm holding etc and she's just not stopping crying that kind of thing but as they get older and they have more time between sleeps that they're awake you may start to see a pattern emerge. Um, so if you if you feel like you've gone through your checklist and your baby's still crying, that's a big sign. 
if you have something you tend to do or else your baby won't sleep, that's a sign. If you tend to nurse for comfort, this is a bigger topic we can delve into, but if you tend to nurse for comfort, um, nursing's amazing, so, <laughs> but just specifically for comfort or nurse on demand or nurse to sleep, there's probably some things in there we can look at. Um, and, and the other clues are around what's their sleep like, if they're, if they tend to quote fight sleep, it's mm-hmm. the feelings fighting actually, or what's the demeanor like? Do they tend to be extra clingy as in won't let you put them down type of extra clingy can be a signal or even hyper being busy um, can be a signal Fussing, fussing when tired is usually a signal um, that there's some feelings to release. Okay. Yeah, I think that's really good. And it's, you know, I can't help but compare it to my two children, (laughs) but um, I can see that pretty easily with my daughter now. I can tell when she's done feeding and Um, so it's different than, than her being hungry. Like she, it's usually when she's ready to sleep, actually, that she'll get that fussiness. And then, um, the times where we're putting her down and then she cries and we go back in, it's kind of like, we need to let her release that before she's able to sleep. And if she doesn't, get that out if I'm kind of just like oh let me ignore the fussing and hope she (laughs) goes to sleep for a little bit a lot of times those are like 20 minutes and she's up again versus like if she cries really well she'll get this really good chunk of sleep I think yeah um great that's if they have if okay let's talk about the feelings and sleep connection so Babies and actually all of us are more vulnerable when tired. So that's just when it's a very common time that the feelings tend to bubble up. So the feelings bubble up. What parents, what I find parents are usually taught, which might come from our own upbringing, might come from parenting advice coming in. It comes from generation. It comes from society. It comes from everywhere is that, Parents need to find out why the baby's crying and stop the crying. So the crying often comes up around sleep because it's just harder to hold it together around sleep. So that's why fussing, crying often happens in relation to sleep, which means that a lot of people see crying or fussing meaning they're tired and they need to get the baby to sleep. From this perspective, yes, it's related, but it's an indirect leap. The direct connection is that the fussing or crying is about actually those feelings coming up because we really do see in the case where it's just feelings and it's not an ongoing um, challenge, like a tongue tie, there's some other situations, but we really do see that when they've gotten their cries out, they will just fall asleep. Um, 
And if you have that experience and you see that, it can be pretty magical um, because you don't have to do anything to get the baby to sleep. You can, you can just hold space and listen and let them communicate, get their feelings out, and then they drift off to sleep. So Yeah, and I think that's opposed to a lot of parents might think that they need to stop the crying to, yeah. to let the baby sleep, like the, the pacifier idea of like, well, the baby can't sleep, she's crying, I need to fix that, I guess. Um, yeah. And that, this is good news for parents that you don't have to work so hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, yeah. Yeah, the crying is a good sign, actually. It's, I feel like there's a lot of pressure. There's so much pressure for parents to, if you're always going to stop the crying um, and if you're always going to figure out why, because sometimes some parents feel like they have a clear experience. Oh, she's crying because she's hungry. But in general, you may not always know why your baby's crying and that's okay and that's healthy. And again, it's how we respond to that. It's, it's learning the information and the cues. Um, but yep, you don't have to do anything to fix it. But do realize that holding or being present with holding your baby while they cry is really, really different from separating from the crying the, of, from cried out. They really do need to get it out, be heard. Um, yeah, so to realize that crying itself can be a need and a solution is, is often a big perspective changer. Well, and I don't, I don't want to like have a huge tangent from babies, but I, I do think it's just so powerful because this was something that when my son was a baby and we were, me and my husband were learning this for the first time, like the, the holding the baby and not trying to fix it or change it. Um, but just be there. Like, I love you and I'm listening to you. It's, it seems weird with a baby cause they're not saying anything, but, um, it was just so powerful in our relationship because I was like, well, this is what I want when I'm sad. And it's been this natural progression to him now being a toddler where we actually learned how to listen to him when he was a baby. And now it's easy to, when he gets hurt, he will crawl up in my arms and we'll sit together and he knows that he can cry and I'm sorry he got hurt and he can take as long as he needs. And then when he's, <laughs> when he's done, like he wants to be doing things, he will jump up and be happy again when he's done, but he has a space. And I, I, I do think it's just so cool to start when you're a baby and not have to, I don't know if that yeah. makes sense. Like you're, um, you're learning to listen to your child early. I'm really glad you said that. Yeah. It's learning to listen to your child and it's also them learning communication skills it's like if they have the experience as a baby toddler of being heard then they also innately learn how to listen if they've been allowed to express their feelings their sadness their anger even on the other side of it they understand they recognize when other people are sad or angry 
So the emotional intelligence piece is really amazing. The communication skills, like it's really about so much more than sleep, this piece. Um, yeah. I, I almost want to cry because it's, he's just such an affectionate boy. And I'm like, oh, we're so, I don't know. It's, it's, it's wonderful being able to experience those emotions versus yeah. shutting them out, I guess. But I think a lot of us, or at least most of us were not raised this way. So it's new for a lot of people. It's a whole new perspective. And even once you get your head around it, when you're in the moment doing it, we get patterned, we, we get, we develop emotional habits so early. They go into us just so early, the messages we get around emotions. And it does often come from a loving place like, oh, don't cry. I don't want you to cry. It's okay. But when that message gets internalized into, oh, okay, don't cry. Okay, I can't cry. It's not safe to cry. Uh, the feelings can get held in for the child, but it's also the communication process. How open can I be with my parents? And yeah, that's beautiful. And that we do see one thing that happens with this, with the cry releases is they're able to catch up on old stuff. So they're no longer carrying it around so that when they get hurt or something, it's really only about that thing. Um, whereas most of us are, <laughs> we're carrying around a whole lot still, or if you identify with that, but. I guess that's a good point. Can you speak to the catching up? So let's say you have a, um, you have an older baby now, um, let's say six months or something, and you haven't started with the cry it out. How does that work with the starting to introduce it? Yeah, with the crying in arms, it could be like whether your baby's six months or so or 10 months or a toddler, once you start this process and get it going, there's usually some catch up crying. I look at it at, look at it as two types of crying. Okay, so two types of this type <laughs> of crying, of the stress release crying. One is the old catch up stuff catching up on whatever has happened in their life so far that they need to process still like their birth experience and I mean that from their perspective and or from mom's perspective or anyone who is in the room not what it looks like on paper um, it could be that or it could be if there was an, a medical procedure or a NICU experience or maybe it's not around birth but Maybe there was a big move in their history or whatever it happens to be. Once you start the process, usually there's some catch-up crying. And then the other type is more processing the in-the-moment day-to-day stuff. And what's really beautiful that we see, which you shared about, is that once they're able to catch up on, on processing their experiences they're really able to stay present moment and like you said he'll come your son will come and sit in your lap and do what he needs to get the feelings out connect with you and then he'll be done and ready to go play 
And that innate process, like just remaining whole in your being and really connected to that whole process of, wow, I am feeling something right now and I need to get it out and being able to process it in that moment and then move on from there is just such a beautiful thing. And it's such a gift versus sometimes when those early experiences don't get processed, it's like, there's always, it can be like, there's always something in the back of your mind or the child's mind, or it's like the thing you can't put your finger on, but something doesn't feel quite right. Or something is just, it's, there's something there. There's something that, that just doesn't, there's some thread that like you just, it can be invisible and you don't really, it's hard to find. I find that's often related to something feelings related. So it's, it's beneficial to start at any time and allow for that catch up. Any this, yeah, you can start anytime. We do see the earlier you start, the more you get that patterned in, the more you get the two-way communication patterned in from the start. So there can be, it just means that you, you'll still have tantrums, but tantrums will look a little different often than if this hadn't been in place. There will be some differences in communication and emotional understanding and things, but at the same time, yeah, it can be started any, any time. Throughout. Yeah, and I think we even went through a phase. I remember talking to you about this when he stopped, uh, Connor stopped sleeping through the night. He started waking up in, in the middle of the night and he, again, and this was maybe like 18, 19, 20 months, somewhere in there. But we stopped, he stopped crying with us. He self-soothed. And uh, I think you said that that might be common and we still held that space for him, even though we didn't get the cries out and it might have, but he started again. <laughs> like it's um, with maybe the tantrums a little bit after he turned, turned two, um, there might've, there might've even just been some natural catch up from him. It's not like we weren't allowing the cries. Like he just didn't do them. I don't know, <laughs> but this is where children are individual in some cases. Sometimes when they're not crying, especially as toddlers, and I mean cry releasing in your presence, um, sometimes it can be because it just hasn't been established and it's completely new. And that takes some facilitating to help everyone get used to the process. Um, or if crying in arms has been done and they go through a phase where they're just not doing it. Yeah, that happens sometimes. And I was saying before they go through the old stuff and then they just move on. Uh, um, they can also grow up a little bit and then need to process some older layers. Also, it's like when we get older and we look back on a situation and we realize something new because we grew up some or we we've learned something since then and we're like oh that's what that was about and <laughs> and need to process another layer of it same for them sometimes or they become toddlers and they can 
they have more access to play and to um, situations, or maybe they go to the playground and they go through the tunnel slide for the first time or whatever, and then that might trigger another round of, oh yeah, I still have some feelings about going through the tunnel. <laughs> yeah, there's layers. That's so, amazing. And I can't like, when I talk about it this way, I can make it sound really complicated sometimes, but it's really, <laughs> it it's really it's really foundational also and just really recognizing underlying needs and letting them have their feelings and being present with it without needing to fix it. But there are well, I think that's what's beautiful about it. We don't need to know what those layers are. We don't need to, um, even in like the attachment play, it's like kids don't need to talk through all of it like we do. We don't need to let them I mean, this is a whole nother thing. I think I've talked about it on the podcast, but like just acting through scenarios, how they don't need to then after they play it, talk about it like adults would need to. I I think that's what's beautiful is you don't have to be any kind of expert in child psychology. You just have to be there pretty much. (laughs) It's pretty amazing. And that has to do with... um, The limbic system in the brain, it's the part of the brain that deals with feelings and memories. That part is, we call it lower brain, whereas higher brain, so-called higher brain is more the analytical thinking reasoning. That's where we tend to go as adults, but children, even older children who, who might cry at first when something happens, often parents are eager for them to use their words, but really the the first brain reaction is the emotional part. Um, and that's what's happening. It's the stress response you're seeing in your baby with the crying in relation to sleep. And also the fact that your baby might have some pent up stress is not a bad thing. <laughs> that's a very normal thing about being human. And this is their very natural stress release process. So yeah, it's, has to do with how we process feelings and stress and um, the biological stress response for toddlers, especially. Yeah. But babies, that's pretty much all they have. They don't have that analytical side at all. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so I guess, they, sorry. Sometimes they need information about what happened during their birth, but yeah, they're not processing it high brain. Like we are, they, <laughs> Sometimes they need to know why, but they also need to get the feelings out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so, yeah, now that we're back on babies, sorry for the tangents, but um, the, a lot of the questions I got were kind of around routines and schedules, because I think there's, there's just across the gamut, like some schools of thought where you can't do any kind of schedule and anytime your baby cries, you have to nurse and uh, skin to skin all the time. And then kind of the other end of the spectrum is very strict schedules, like not, you know, putting the baby in their own space to sleep. And um, I'm sure there's more that I haven't seen, but I, I kind of have my own opinion on this, but I'm really interested to see what you have to say from like an aware parenting perspective around like establishing a, a routine, a nighttime, a schedule. Yeah. This perspective is really based around 
helping the baby sleep based on internal cues that they're sleepy versus having all the externals just right or doing something to get them to sleep. So it's really more about opening, creating the internal and external environment for them to do what they need to do to that will allow them to relax more deeply and sleep. And I look at sleep as a state, not a skill. It has to do with the state we're in. Like we talked about, if you have something on your mind, how easy is it to relax? And the pen, what happens when we have pent up feelings and just what it does to our bodies. Um, so yeah, we might, we might develop skills around how we, around the edges as we get older, like how we deal with stress, especially in, within particular situations and depending on our level of sensitivity, how we navigate stimulation, but sleep itself, like if you really come down to sleep itself is a state. So, um, so is it okay to kind of encourage a schedule? So, oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, based on internal cues is what we're looking for. So the state, we're looking to get your baby, your baby's state to a relaxed place. So to get your baby where they're able to relax deeply enough to fall asleep. So... If you, so, so start there with the perspective of, okay, we're working with internal cues and your baby, your baby's ability to be able to fall asleep when they're sleepy, regardless of the lights just right, or the temperature is just right, or the timing is exactly right. Um, so as far as a schedule and a routine, what we find is that once you implement the cry release as needed, a flow usually emerges. So some kind of natural routine or flow usually emerges. Um, and that's because the, once you take away the layers of feelings, like it's the, fe the feelings are where things get sticky. It's where things look like your child is fighting sleep or, or just isn't settling or needs help sleeping. Um, closeness is important. Um, there's all kinds of different ways to do that, do that, but falling asleep. But anyway, so we're looking, we're looking to, I'm getting... There's always so many layers. <laughs> yeah, so we're looking to, to get your baby to the point where they can flow in their natural innate ability around waking and sleeping. The natural response or way to meet the need for being sleepy is to sleep. So the way to meet the need for fussing around sleep or crying is to allow the cry in arms beyond needs, just meaning they're probably needing to tell you something, get some feelings out so they can relax. So as far as a schedule versus not a schedule, this is baby led. 
but also with parent attunement and kind of recognizing it's not necessarily baby looks like they're tired or shows tired signs and then we do something to get them to sleep sometimes that's called baby led but it's if you can get yourself into this flow of the feelings release as needed usually families find that that a, a, a common timing just shows up around nap times and bedtime. I, I love that you called it a flow because um, that's, you know, I'm in the thick of newborn stage right now, but that's really how it feels. And it's funny because I don't know if, because I feel like I'm responding to her cues around hunger, but I also read a book about a schedule about it's, you know, roughly every three hours, eat, play, sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was kind of aware of that, but didn't try to force it, if that makes sense. Just like having that this is likely about the time apart a baby of this age will need to eat. Um, And it's kind of, so like where I'm at right now, I don't know if I'm leading her or she's leading me or, but I like just flow. Like it doesn't (laughs) like, we're just, we kind of know our routine and, and it's not always exactly the same, but it's just kind of a, usually before her naps, she needs to cry a little bit. Mm -hmm. And if she gets sleepy after, like if she falls asleep during the feed, I usually try to wake her up and then get more of a nap later (laughs) um but yeah I'm still I'm still in tune with her cues yeah which is interesting but I don't I don't know how if it would have totally gotten there if I wasn't first aware of the Mm -hmm. schedule if that makes sense Yeah. yeah I think that the guidelines are useful to know okay about how long does a baby of x age tend to be awake between sleeps that's useful. Um, it's also especially helpful for families who are just starting this mm-hmm. process at any age to kind of see, cause that's going to help, help you gauge. Is it a need to cry release versus something else? If you kind of have the general idea. So it's, it's like to have that general idea as a structure of information that might help you make some decisions, but not as a habit. Um, and also that we, it's very natural that we don't necessarily sleep exactly the same way or the same amount every single night, or I think maybe for general, generally speaking. Um, and also that like, we don't, we don't need the same amount of food necessarily. We don't eat the same every single day. And then it depends on our physical activity and what's going on in our lives. So I do find that sleep can fluctuate like that. And it's really not necessarily a perfect thing because life changes. So it's like, if, if we can go with the flow of life and feelings and how things are happening and whatever, whoever needs to process, like just going with that flow and trusting your baby's innate ability in tandem with letting them get the feelings out that they, 
will get the sleep they need versus having it having it regimented and i'm not gonna i'm not even gonna say this is 100 the same for every family because i have had some had some families who did work with the schedule and it really worked for them so the the other thing here is also to look at if there whatever your choices are around routine schedule is it preventing a cry inadvertently? You might not realize it. Like, it's just to look kind of to look what is everyone's need and is there a way for your child to get the feelings out? And can it, can it still be based on your baby's innate abilities and innate flow, if that made sense? <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think that piece about, you can look at a schedule, but don't be so attached to it. Cause just because your baby fed a little bit early today, cause they were hungry, doesn't mean you've ruined everything or, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I um, like that. I was a nanny, a, a professional nanny for 10 years. I had about a total of about 25 babies and toddlers <laughs> and I had, I had like I've had I had a range from like a four or five month old who still had two or two and a half hours of awake time between sleeps. And then I had a baby who by six months was awake for at least five hours minimum between sleeps. So Okay. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's to to get use the schedule, the information to get an idea if you need it, if you need it to kind of gauge, okay, what's going on, what's happening, but yeah, otherwise what I find if you can implement this process, especially around sleep, things will tend to, everything tends to clarify. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's helpful too, because if you maybe let the baby cry when they have the need to cry and then at some point they're hungry early and they're crying, you can kind of be more confident that it's a hunger cry if that versus like, if you're not letting the cries out, it's hard to know. I don't know. (laughs) Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that seems to make it easier to listen to the baby's cues. It, It really does tend to clarify all the cues, sleep, play, hunger, everything. Um, and I really think it, it's because it frees up their natural state. Feelings, it's like feelings almost can masquerade as different things. Feelings that are inside that haven't come out yet can look like they need to go to sleep or it can look like they need to feed. Like feelings are tricky if they're not let out and listen to sometimes yeah yeah that's that's definitely true (laughs) again for all ages um so I got one question and I think this is more around the routine piece but is it true that in three days a baby can form a new sleeping habit mine is teething now needs extra hugs and soothing I'm wondering if I'm risking 
to get him used to being able to fall asleep. He used to fall asleep independently before. So I think this is more around the, do you need to leave them to sleep on their own or can, if they fall asleep on you and then you put them down, um, that piece of it. Yeah, again, always going back to the feelings release piece. Let me, how did that question start again? Is it true that a baby can form a new sleeping habit in three days? Okay, so if we go back to the feelings and sleep association, I find that what looks like a sleep association or what becomes a sleep association is usually actually a feelings association at its roots. So as far as forming a habit, it's usually more from this perspective of how, of emotional patterns and how we respond to emotions. It's usually more than it's, it's not necessarily a, a specific time frame because it has to do with what becomes habit, how long it goes on, everyone's feelings. Babies are aware and sensitive and they can sense when it's safe to let their feelings out, when it's not, or they might try anyway. So, so the habit forming, I find, is usually more related to the feelings part. So that's the place to investigate there. And then, what? tell me some other parts of the question again. Just that she thought the baby needed extra hugs and soothing. And am I risking the baby now being able to sleep on their, on his own? Sleeping on their own. Okay, yeah, let's talk about that. Usually what advice means by sleeping on their own is that is it's usually related to putting the baby down in their own space and having them fall asleep there in their, in their own space and even being able to leave the room. In this approach, aware parenting recognizes closeness at sleep time, at least at falling asleep time as a legitimate need. And that has to do with that biological need to make sure they're safe and they're, where's mom, where's my mom or dad to make sure they're safe. So there's an innate biological pattern there to secure their safety. But so closeness at falling asleep time as a legitimate need. And then, but the difference here with aware parenting is that, is the recognizing that process they have of, of relaxing, of what relaxing look like looks like, or for us, relaxing looks like <laughs> practicing relaxing, like breathing deeply, or maybe we need to go for a run and then we can calm down or meditation or whatever it is. And for babies, their process for relaxing actually can look really chaotic and loud and <laughs> crying and screaming. So it's allowing that process and then them being able to go to sleep, quote, on their own, meaning you don't have to do anything to get them to sleep. So then the idea is that 
depending on people's sleeping arrangements that you would then be able to transfer. So your baby may still fall asleep in arms, but that they would fall asleep more deeply that you'd be able to transfer, or maybe you're lying down next to your baby on the bed together, depending on your situation. So I think what you're saying is like the, the quote unquote soothing, if you're, I guess, soothing the baby to stop crying right. and then the baby's sleeping on you, you're, it's more that emotional piece than the habit of the, if you're, if you're stopping the crying, it's more that than the, like, where exactly is the baby sleeping? Yeah. The soothing, I want to say something about the sleeping on you um, in a sec. Yeah, this is a whole nother topic that's different in an aware parenting perspective, soothing. Often parents are taught or maybe even feel that baby is not able to stop crying or they get hysterical. They need to learn to self-soothe. That process of the feelings coming out and including even when they get hysterical, that hysterical crying, as long as there's not an injury, you don't suspect medical concern, but um, always take care of that first. But that hysterical crying is often those feelings, those exact feelings that are lurking and maybe wake, bubbling later and waking them up from sleep or look, looks like they're fighting sleep. So yeah, soothing, soothing somehow, self-soothing or actively soothing, meaning getting the crying to stop, sometimes can look like they are calm. It can appear that they've become calmer, but really those feelings haven't come out. So the feelings are still in. So internally, the level of stress might still be up because the stress hormones are still in the body. Whereas when they can get the cry out in arms, so research has shown that the chemical of chemical content of tears is different in these different situations, but when they are being held and loved and listened to, it actually can help the stress chemicals in the body get out of the body. So physiologically and emotionally, after a big cry, babies tend to feel better, feel more relaxed. So it's like the cry release in itself is the self-regulating mechanism. And they naturally are able to regulate and, and find a calmer state on the other side of the cry. And so it doesn't really matter if it's just like everyday emotional release versus teething pain? Oh, teething. What I saw as a nanny often was that partly it depended on the sensitivity of the child. If, if it was a particularly sensitive or high, highly sensitive child, they would experience more teething pain sometimes than others, like specifically crying related to teething. But also that what I saw was when the baby would 
also need to cry when they were teething and they needed to get some feelings out, it would look like they were teething, like actively, like chewing on things or fingers in their mouth. But then they would have a cry and then they would go back to chewing on things, but not be fussy. Mm -hmm. Really fascinating. So in some cases, what seems like it's crying because they're teething is, is also intertwined with getting the cry out. And in any case, the feelings are legit. So whether it's specific teething feelings or not, yeah, always legit to let the feelings out. <laughs> let the cry happen without having to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, about only fall, babies who will only fall asleep when they're on someone mm-hmm. or only sleep when they're on someone. So I'm not sure if you had any more details about that, but I'll just speak generally first to a baby sleeping on, meaning it feels like you can't put your baby down for sleep at all. So partly recognizing the need for closeness in relation to sleep, but also if you really feel like you can't put your baby down or they they really won't sleep without being on you, especially beyond newborn Sometimes it's the cry release process. They just need to get some cries out and then they are just able to relax more. The other situation I often see is that there can be something related to birth or early story. Sometimes it's a separation experience. So maybe a NICU experience something or or a NICU or the baby immediately after was born needed to be checked over for something. So they didn't meet mom or dad first. They went over onto a table or something, that kind of thing. Um, so sometimes the being put down is actually a reminder of whatever they experienced that they're needing to process. Um, so, it, so it can be the cry or it can be actually, they're really trying to process something and they actually need more information than just the cry. It's, Always the cry will help, but in the case of an early experience like that, sometimes they need a little bit of, oh, yeah, does that remind you of when that happened? That's because whatever, I'm here with you now. I'm, I hear you. Yeah, because I think this particular question, um, I know this woman and she, the baby would fall asleep on her. And, but when she would go to put the baby down on her own, she would cry. So I think that was interpreted as my baby will only sleep on me. Mm -hmm. She won't go in her, her own space. Yeah. Um, That, that specific situation often takes some, some discussing and unpacking to figure out exactly what's going on. Because, yeah, in some cases, it's just how, how do you, this is kind of the reverse of what I typically talk about. Just let your baby cry in your arms. Sometimes parents pick baby up, stop crying, put baby down, cry, pick baby up. How are you supposed to do crying in arms if your baby won't cry when they're in your arms? Um, (laughs) 
there's some ways to work with that. So we just need to figure out if it's just that we need to get the cry release going or there's an early experience they are still trying to process or there's something about their sleeping area or even logistics of like startle reflex is triggering when they go down even that. <laughs> okay. And maybe if you're starting later, the baby might be less likely to cry in arms right away. Is that? Yep. Yep. And that depends. Some babies, it, if it's something like a pacifier or nursing specifically for sleep or comfort, and you find that if you don't do that thing, your baby will just cry, that's your open doorway. Sometimes it takes some invitation if you haven't been doing this. So if you feel like, oh, I want to try this, and you try it, and you're like, nothing's happening. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It just means it's really easy for habits to get built up around emotions. It happens for every single person on the planet. It just like, it's just what happens with feelings. So start with making space, holding space, inviting it. Hey, I want to listen. I want to hear you. It's okay to cry. Yeah, I guess and, back to the the three day question. Just you talking about how habits can get built. Is it that quick? Like that habits around suppressing emotions. I wouldn't. I think in order to answer that question, we would need to. That would mean a three day old baby. Oh, I think she's saying if she like was holding the baby and still letting it inst instead of stop stopping letting a cry out. Well, yeah, what I mean is that there's probably some other layers that have already been going on. Okay. Whatever advice, whatever, um, whatever piece of information or advice is talking about three days. From my perspective, there's probably already been a layer going on that's been longer than three days. So there could be a situation that in three days, if if this other ongoing thing has been happening and then you do a new pattern in the three days and the emotions get hooked up to that pattern, then maybe, but point being, it's probably deeper than just that thing that you're doing in those three days. There's probably more to the whole picture, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, right. If, you're, if your babies have a safe space their whole life, it's not all of a sudden going to be gone that quickly, I guess. Yeah. Some babies will just cry all at once and get it out. Okay. And then some, it takes more invitation. There is a point I notice that starts around 10 to 12 months where it can start getting harder to get the cry out. So if you're a parent with a baby younger than that, it can be a little easier to go ahead and start it at that point. If you're, if you happen to be right around 10 to 12 months, some will just cry easily. And then some take a little more holding of space. Um, it's still always doable and workable. And then toddlers, some toddlers will go ahead and cry. And then some, 
tantrums are your friend to get the open doorway. And then some toddlers really need the birth experience played through or processed. Okay. Yeah, I think that was related to one question about um, if the baby uses a thumb. I think that might be where you're saying it's harder to get the cry out if the babies maybe learned something else. Thumb sucking. That's one of the trickier ones because it's a part of their body. And you don't want to build resentment by constantly blocking it, but there are ways to work with, with it, with, um, with inviting the cry instead of the, the thumb. Sometimes you can tap the thumb or gently see if you can divert the hand and see if they'll get the cry out. But at the same time, respecting their space, you want to also respect their space and give them some, uh, let it be up to them some about when and how they will cry release because it's a part of their body. So that can take some working with. And, and sometimes babies who suck their thumbs will do some cry release a little bit and then the thumb will go in. Sometimes the thumb goes in before it gets really big, like before the meaty <laughs> feelings really actually come out and that's really what needs to come out. And then some will just, it's a go-to completely from the beginning. And then some will kind of, will stop sucking their thumb once they do get the cry out. And then some sucked their thumbs already in the womb. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My daughter kind of just found her thumb at eight weeks, but it's, she will get a big cry out and then that'll be her. Uh, to me, it's a signal of, okay, I'm ready to sleep now. Like, <laughs> um, and I don't know, that's just kind of what I'm picking up from her. Cause she'll get really big cries out and then go to her thumb. But thumb. Um, the, the majority of thumb sucking, I find, is related to feelings, but thumb sucking can also, can also be trying to self-adjust cranial bones, mm -hmm. or it can be tongue tie. There's, yeah, there's a lot of different directions that can go. If, she, okay. if you feel like your baby's getting a, a good cry out and they sleep better, regardless of how they use their thumb, then they're probably getting a good amount of feelings out. If you find they have a little bit of a cry and then they suck their thumb and then you notice something, sleep is off or they wake up a lot or they're clingy, then there's, there's probably still something behind the thumb. So. Okay. Just a quick question kind of on the meaty cries you were saying like I think earlier you were kind of saying how even that's okay so I'm guessing that you've had parents that were like oh, okay I'm good with the crying but not when it's like that screaming cry because it can be kind of scary yeah as a parent and I I found that with my son he would have much longer cries and that's at some point I would just feel like I needed to take him out of the room and get him to stop crying just to make sure he could stop. Like it's not some injury or I don't know. It's, 
Do you have advice on that? <laughs> well, okay, for the catch-up type of crying, anywhere from 20 minutes to over an hour would be common. Okay. But that's an eye-opener usually <laughs> because five minutes can seem like a really long time. But at the same time, there's often a typical cycle. There, there's often a typical picture of what this looks like there might be a, there might be several really long cries at the beginning and they might be an hour long or if your baby has a cry but doesn't get it all out and they before they get too tired and they fall asleep it might feel for a few days like this cry is never ending my baby's always sad they're never going to be happy again that's just all this catch up crying the the typical scenario and then typically Something about the crying will start to diminish, whether it's the length of crying, the, the amount of intensity, how many times they cry, something about it will start to diminish. And that could be after a couple days, anywhere to a couple months or so. But there's usually the typical scenario would be that it diminishes because they've done the catch up and now they're just processing the daily. If the crying goes on and it doesn't seem like there's any resolution, you're not seeing improved sleep, you're not seeing diminished cry release time, like you're still getting an hour of crying, then there's something, there's probably something else going on. Sometimes it's birth story, sometimes it's tongue tie, sometimes we don't know what, but but it takes some investigating. Sometimes it's food sensitivities. And then there are some situations where there has been some more significant stress or trauma and and there are some other ways that we, I feel personally, that we need to also address that versus just the cry release. The cry release is always important, but if you find that it really, it's not resolving, it doesn't make a difference, then... Yeah, we need to look at some things. Okay. And okay. Yeah, I think the intensity can be scarier than the length sometimes. Like it just is jarring. Um, Yeah. And sometimes when parents feel like, yeah, I'm cool with the cry until a certain point, sometimes Mm -hmm. that point is is their point, whatever, wherever a parent, wherever you hit your wall with the baby crying, there's often a link. There's often a link to our own history. So if you find that you, your baby cries a little bit, whatever it is, whatever your wall is, like if you, okay, I've had enough crying, that's enough. Or it might be, anxiety oh my gosh now I'm really worried my baby's not stopping or for what whatever it is whatever feelings come up for you worry anxiety or oh I if I could stop the crying why shouldn't I stop the crying I, I have a way to stop it there's often a link if you think back on what your parents did with you when you were a baby or a child the messages you got around feelings from your family the emotional tone in your family, there's usually a link. 
to the point where you were stopped from crying or something about the messages that you got. And that's why we look at this so early because <laughs> these patterns develop so early. That's, that's personally so interesting because I have a limit and I believe in letting my kids cry, but I didn't necessarily think about challenging myself in that way. So it's kind of this rule we have here where um, we will relieve each other after 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. like we will switch. So the baby can still cry, but he's going to cry with my husband after 10 minutes or she, Mm -hmm. um, but he doesn't have that same limit. I do. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I think he, he's good to go until the baby's done. And I was the one who put that, that rule in. So I'm, I'm going to explore that a little bit. (laughs) Um, And that's a great solution. If either of, for parents, if either one of you feels like you need support in this process, but also you can, yeah, kind of investigate when you hit your wall and I feel like, okay, take a deep breath. Is it me? What's going on for me? Does this relate to some memory I have or something I know about how grandma handles baby or something? Sometimes like it, it's not that that makes it easier necessarily, but it, it can help you start separating yourself from your baby. Like, okay, my baby's okay. needs to release in this moment. I'm having a wall come up that you can kind of start navigating it. And the intensity, if you, if you, yeah, if parents suspect injury or something, I mean, this information is based on assuming that your baby is healthy internally and externally, but the intent, there's often an intensity that parents are not comfortable with. And that's, culturally we're not comfortable with also (laughs) yeah and I think it's unlikely that the baby sustained some injury in the middle of the cry and that's what it's coming from but it it can just feel kind of scary (laughs) (laughs) okay the last oh sorry if if you were stopped as a baby or a child from crying or it was kind of okay but you weren't fully listened to or something like that then know that it might feel you might reach that point it might feel scary as you start this process but also know that yeah sometimes what feels like instinct around emotions is actually learned habit so (laughs) yeah that's where emotions get murky so (laughs) that's yeah there's there's so many so many layers (laughs) and that relates to why we were talking about babies and how do you know which need it is and the schedule and the timing and the cry release clarifying everything like same thing here just like feelings can get to make things murky (laughs) well the last question I had was about um, breastfeeding to sleep is that okay or is it (laughs) okay if it's not all the time I guess um So this goes back to internal versus external cues and and knowing that your baby knows how to sleep. So that's the, the underneath 
the challenges you're having underneath somewhere inside your baby's innate skills. <laughs> the good news is your baby knows how to sleep. But at the same time, if your baby's not sleepy, again, no guilt here, but if your baby's not sleeping, there's something we want to look at. So if, if there's nursing to sleep, if there's comfort nursing involved in the nursing to sleep, usually there is. Sometimes it's to feed the baby before they go to sleep so they get a good feed so they'll sleep longer. That part depends on the child, but usually there's some feelings also tucked in there with nursing to sleep and that's what we want to open up and get behind, especially if you're having sleep challenges. Like they might go to sleep just fine, but do they wake up later when you nurse to sleep? Or constant nursing overnight, if you find your child wants to stay latched the whole time or, or they won't sleep unless they're latched. Yeah, there's probably something you wanna dig into there. So it's really, so nursing to sleep, like it's really about looking at what's the real need underneath is the need to nurse are they hungry we could get into are they sick are they teething but for the overall picture we'll look at are they hungry versus what's the real need if it's if it's comfort nursing the real need is to let the feelings out so it's kind of like how reading the these other cues <laughs> reading between the lines kind of like okay if the baby really if the baby's true need is to let some feelings out but we do something whether it's comfort nursing them to sleep or whatever it is then the underlying need never got taken care of really so and then that can come back to haunt you so that's why nursing to sleep can come back to haunt you. It's that it's because there's some feelings usually involved in there somewhere. If you find it's it happens sometimes, but it's not a habit, you don't have to nurse to sleep. It just, you have the cry in place. It's just that the timing sometimes happens. That happens sometimes, but Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so if it's not like a separate, maybe nursing when the baby's already fed, um, like that could be something to look at. But if it happens to be the bedtime feed, it's probably not a concern if um, they're not waking up or... If they're not waking up, if you have no concerns, in other words, like no sleep challenges no, yeah, demeanor, clinginess, toddler behaviors, none of that. I would say if it's a habit and they always go to sleep by nursing, I would suggest you still might want to look at that just to make sure, do you have some options? If you have choice that, yeah, we usually nurse for hunger, for bedtime, but they'll go to sleep just fine without it. Um, that's a little different. Honestly, I find that if there's 
When there's nursing to sleep, there's usually also another concern. Well, actually, that's the people who come to see me. So <laughs> I don't know about the people who don't come to see me, but if it's really happening habitually, there might be something to look at there. But but this is not to say that nursing is bad or that you should or shouldn't. It's more about what is your baby showing us? That's their underlying need. If you feel like it's always a feeding for hunger and they are hungry, I encourage parents to look at starting to separate the timing a little bit. And it's not just because of the principle. It's not just on principle that, oh, you shouldn't nurse to sleep. It's because of the internal versus external cues and just really letting them navigate how they fall asleep so that you're not stuck in the habit and so that there's an, a doorway for the feelings if they need to come out. Um, I guess with the, the nighttime wakings, do you have some sort of bar for, okay, at this point, a baby maybe should be sleeping through the night or a baby shouldn't be waking up more than this many times? Is there anything like that to indicate well, this baby's waking up too soon versus not? Aletha says um, her book, Aware, Aware Baby, is the one that gives all the information about babies and crying in arms. She says that at six months, babies can start sleeping through the night or maybe with one feeding. I personally don't have a bar on that because I just find that there are so many different scenarios. And sometimes with a family, like maybe we do get the crying in arms in process, but they're still waking and that points us in another direction, like, and they discover food sensitivities or tongue tie, an undiagnosed tongue tie. Like, it, and again, the crying in arms process will clarify because there's a common thing that what crying in arms looks like, there's a cycle to it, there's a cry, and then they tend to sleep more deeply or they might stay awake, but they'll be calmer and serene. And if you're really not seeing the resolution and you're really still getting a lot of wakings, then we want to look at something there. And it's not that it's not that crying in arms is not working. It's that your baby is showing us something. Okay. Well, yeah, I think that's a good time to say I highly recommend working with Eliza if you are kind of at this point where you think that maybe something could be, could be up that you're not able to maybe address on your own. It's, it's been really helpful for us just, you know, having you as a resource. Um, so yeah, as yeah. Some parents, yeah. A good time to come is if you feel like you tried this and you feel stuck or it's not working, also, another good time to come is you want to try it, but it seems scary or you're, you're not sure if you're doing it right or you tried the cry release, but you're not sure if it's the cycle I'm talking about or you just want support in getting it going because it's completely new. <laughs> yeah, but I, this was so good. <laughs> 
So thank you so much. Um, is there anything else you want to share? We have links in the show notes for um, the resources you sent, but is there anything else you want to share? Um, two things. A really First, a really quick recap of the how-to part, because I tend to talk all about <laughs> all the interesting things about it. The how-to part is once you notice fussing, frustration, or you might start doing the thing you usually do to get them to sleep, literally hold your baby in arms and let them express their feelings. It might take a little while to bubble up, just let it happen. Make eye contact available if you can, and they may or may not take you up on it, but, and then go with it from there and Often after a, a cycle of cry, they will fall asleep <laughs> um, or stay awake, but very serene. So it kind of depends on the age. And then second, if folks go to consciousbaby.com sleep, I have a sign up there both to keep in touch and a fact, frequently asked questions, facts about what to do when you're feeling stuck. It also has a link to getting started, but this will also take you deeper into what do you do when you are feeling stuck. Um, And it applies to any sleep scenarios like difficulty going to sleep, night wakings, the information will apply to all. Wonderful. And, And then where else can people find you? Also on my Facebook group, I have a Facebook group. It's called Conscious Baby. (laughs) Look for us there. We talk about these things all the time. It's free and open to anyone who's already living this lifestyle or wanting to learn more about it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was, this was really great. And I'm going to go back and listen to it again (laughs) because there's just so much to this. And I think with, with babies, we can tend to get like, you think you have something figured out and then there, everything changes. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, And it's like, sometimes this work can sound complicated or difficult at first. And it's really like, it's because feelings are complicated. The process isn't so complicated. It's just the like, all of our, the things that get built up for us around feelings, that's part of us too. So be courageous. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thanks everybody. And I will talk to you next week. Email us your questions at nourishedandnurturing at gmail.com and find us on Instagram at nourishedandnurturing. You can find more from me, Marissa, at confidentlybalanced.com. And you can find more from me, Michelle, on Instagram at Michelle Taggy. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you like what you've heard and share it with a friend. We look forward to talking to you next week.